Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Fill her up. You're listening to the Gast Digital Network. We need to roll back the state. We spy on all of our own citizens. Our prisons are flooded with nonviolent drug offenders. If you want to know who America's next enemy is, look at who we're funding right now. Every single one of these problems are a result of government being way too big. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Part of the Problem. I am Dave Smith. He is Robbie the Fire Bernstein. What's up, brother? How you feeling today? I'm looking forward to my weekend out in the sun. California, baby. Oh, yeah. It's nice. It's really nice to go to warm places in the winter when you live on the East Coast. It really, there is something nice about it. And for whatever reason, I feel like maybe it's because my agent hates us. It always seems like we're sent to warm places in the middle of the summer. I, I swear to God, I think I did 17 gigs in Florida last summer. <laughs> I was just sent over and over again to every part of Florida in the middle of August or whatever. It, you know, it's like it's August. Let's do a nice Miami run or something. And But it is nice. Brea, California in Orange County in the middle of January. That one's pretty good. So come check us out this weekend. Only a couple days away. Brea, California. Um, and then. Uh, it's uh, the Brea Improv is the comedy club. And, and then I got, the I got Pasadena on Sunday. Oh, Pasadena for Robbie the Fire on Sunday. Go go check him out if uh, if you can't make the Brea show. And then uh, and then we'll be in, in Connecticut and in Rob's stomping ground at the Stress Factory in Bridgeport the following weekend. ComicDaveSmith.com for all the tickets. And then for all Rob's uh, headlining gigs, RobbieTheFire.com. All right. So in the middle of this uh, most interesting GOP primary, maybe not the middle, the beginning. Uh, I was done, I was in the bag, New Hampshire is a few days away. Of course, one of the big uh, stories that we have talked about is uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, friend of the show. Uh, He dropped out after Iowa and endorsed Donald Trump. He uh, spoke at a Trump rally to chance of VP, uh, being hurled at him is hurled the right hurled has a negative connotation doesn't it rob chance of vp being hurled at you that's not the right way to say that no Wouldn't, it doesn't sound right yeah there was I, I just i had to say it out loud and then but really the word hurled has a negative connotation but there's no reason for that right i could i could hurl candy bars at you and you'd that be quite painful. happy that doesn't sound good at yeah, all. Yeah, I guess you're right. You know what? Even in the example I used, <laughs> it just sounds like I'm stoning you to death. Okay. Not, anyway, he was uh, greeted by chance of VP. Um, 
So this is kind of interesting. There's a lot of speculation about what could be the future for Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, I I don't know if it it would be vice president. I don't even know if that would be ideal. I'd kind of like I'd I'd like him to be put in charge of uh, eliminating three letter agencies or something like that. That seems like a great place for him. Uh, but whatever. Donald Trump and and Vivek Ramaswamy ha, uh, met at, at either after or before that rally. And there's something interesting going on here. And I just want to play a couple of clips and let's uh, let's kind of break this down. So the first one here is, I shared this on my Twitter as well. Here is Vivek Ramaswamy on the news talking about his endorsement for Donald Trump. I'm sure the official endorsement, we're seeing it right there up on the screen. What did the former president tell you when you guys were backstage? Look, we had a great conversation. I actually prefer to talk about policy rather than politics, Jesse. And so we talked about a number of issues backstage, which I've actually championed in this race that I do think would be beneficial to the America First movement for President Trump to take on. And I think he was very amenable to many of them. Opposition to a central bank digital currency, talking about certain pardons that I think we need on day one, Julian Assange included on that list. And so I'm not a politician, I'm a businessman, but I'm also somebody who cares about the details of policy and commitments. And so we had some great conversations backstage about that. You were up just okay. now in New Hampshire. All right. So there is uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. He's telling America that he got Trump's ear. And this is the thing he was really trying to push him on was like, hey, you got to look out for this central bank digital currency. I will just say that is this is I, I think this is incredibly valuable um, somebody like Vivek Ramaswamy, who has, look, nobody is the political animal that Donald Trump is. Donald Trump has a lot of advantages when it comes to running for president. I mean, not just the fact that he was the, the previous president or that he's so beloved by Republicans, but look, the guy is the most famous human being who's ever lived. He's I, I think that's an accurate statement. I don't think there's anybody more famous than Donald Trump. Donald Trump is internationally recognized by his, his silhouette. Everybody would know who that was if you just drew an outline of Donald Trump. Uh, he's got these Vivek, on the other hand, has advantages like he's uh, read a book before. That, it's a pretty big advantage that Vivek has. Like Vivek actually knows a thing or two about a thing or two. And if he can kind of tell Donald Trump, hey, there's this thing, central bank digital currency, you really want to be opposed to that. That's very valuable, especially if Donald Trump is listening. And there's some indications that he are that that he is <laughs> a little off today. <laughs> yeah, I really I'm having trouble this morning. I speak for a living, Rob. That's what I do. Um, Did they anyway. break your teleprompter before you came into the studio today? <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, let's play the next clip. This is from Donald Trump yesterday. Also making another promise to protect Americans from government tyranny as your president. I will never allow the creation of a central bank digital currency. You know about I didn't know you know so much. I'm very well, New Hampshire, very smart people. Very, uh, very current. You know what they're doing. Such a currency would give a federal government, our federal government, the absolute control over your money. They could take your money. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even know it was gone. This would be a dangerous threat to freedom, and I will stop it from coming to a 
Okay, so I don't know. It's just so funny to me. It's such a Trump moment that he's like, I mean, look, I'm not, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but it's <laughs> Donald Trump just learned what central bank digital currency is. He just learned what it is. He's even saying it like it's this new thing that he's just memorized, the central bank digital currency. And then when the crowd uh, reacts to it, he's clearly like, whoa, you guys know about this? <laughs> oh, did you guys talk to Vivek Ramaswamy yesterday too? Um, now look, obviously we're, Donald Trump saying something and it actually getting done are two, there's a chasm in between those two things. But nonetheless, you Donald Trump is the most influential person in right-wing America by far. And for him to even just be talking about this is huge. Like for him to even just be telling right-wingers that this is a thing, it's a thing we're against because it's government tyranny, that is so great. And don't get me, I, I don't want people to misunderstand what I'm saying. I understand the New Hampshire primary is coming up. I understand that right now is the time when Republicans are going to pander to libertarians more than any other time. Once every four years, right before New Hampshire, the libertarians are a, um, let's say, an important voting block within the Republican primary. I'm, I'm not unaware of that. I'm just saying pretty great that he's talking about this most important issue and pretty great that Vivek Ramaswamy has now found a way as the guy who was starting at zero, uh, an unknown on the political, you know, in the political landscape nationally, went from zero to like 8% in Iowa, which is not nothing. But he's now found a way to punch way above his weight and is inserting one of the issues that he's best on one of the issues that's the biggest threat to liberty and to Western civilization and now has the overwhelming front runner talking about this. I just see that as a, a pretty huge positive. Any thoughts, Rob? Well, first is Donald Trump looked uh, extra crispy there. Starting to roll out like a tater tot look almost. Um, <laughs> so, but you know, I, I get the, if it helps him get his mojo being extra dark, dark and orangey when he's in the cold environments, I understand it. Uh, now, you know, this almost reminds me of uh, it seemed like Rand Paul had talked Donald Trump out of a Syria war at one point. Mm -hmm. If I have my facts correct. And uh, it seems like I mean, I've said it before. Donald Trump is kind of whimsical. He turns on Fox News and, you know, it's like it, 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 he just goes, all right, I guess that's the news. That's the intelligence that I need. And it seems like sometimes uh, well-placed advisors can actually direct uh, and hone Donald Trump in uh, in very good ways. And I. Uh, I think, you know, it, we talked about this a little bit in the last uh, show where you were talking about the libertarians and the messaging and getting it out. Um, I do think that there is some value uh, in the current Republican Party of uh, maybe putting an end to D DEI investments, the green energy stuff. There's just been so much male investment and I can't put a price tag on it or tell you what kind of economic growth it's hampered. Uh, but there are some like big things that are super important. And I would say this was probably number one. Uh, and it, it, particularly if it could actually come up in a debate and you can force Biden to have to talk about these things and bring this to, you know, the general population of, hey, here's what the government would like to do so that it can control more of every single thing that you're doing. Uh, yeah, this one's a giant one. And it would be, I, I guess, 
you know, may, maybe hopefully uh, Vivek actually gets a nice uh, cabinet position and can push some of these important topics. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there there are so many issues that Vivek Ramaswamy is just great on. And obviously we have a couple, you know, important disagreements with him, but there's so many things that he's just great on. And one of the things, it, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy had a whole legal argument. If you remember from when he was on the show, he's talked about it several times, he's talked about it all over the country. He has a whole legal argument for how the president can, while he can't unilaterally just abolish all of these government agencies, he can drastically reduce them. Like he has a whole legal argument about how if you do it randomly, then it's not discriminatory. And if you like, if you were to just say everybody with an odd last number in their social in their social security number is fired, you can do that. And he's he had this whole plan to reduce all of the These federal agencies are equally useless. So, you know. right. Yeah, there you go. So but stuff like that, and again, I'm not a lawyer, uh, so I don't know, but he seems to have a pretty strong argument. But just having that in Trump's ear would be enormous. But of course, like something like this, it's very important that it's brought to Donald Trump's attention. Um, and it's very important that it's brought to the American people's attention because as most people listening to this show probably know already, but this is one of these things that's like, it's a plan that the true elite rulers of this country have that isn't going to be on a referendum. It's not going to be a campaign issue that the American people get to vote on. This is just something they're planning on installing. And it is the death of the last vestiges of liberty. I mean, if the central bank digital currency goes through, we are in so much trouble. And for people like who, who aren't aware, I assume most of the audience is, but like, obviously, the government already has a monopoly on money. And that's a huge problem. I think we all understand that that's probably the root of all of our problems is government monopoly on money. And this is what allows for all of the other terrible big government policies that we hate. There's, you know, good luck fighting a 20 year war in Afghanistan if you can't print the money to, to fight it. And good luck locking down the country if you can't just print the money to bail out all of the businesses, right? Or, or not all of the businesses, but the big businesses that they love. But just think about this for a second, right? Like if you didn't, if government didn't have a monopoly on, on money, or let's just say even government had a monopoly on money, but we weren't on, it wasn't fiat currency. Like it wasn't, uh, they couldn't just print as much money as they want. Say we were on a gold standard or something like that. And they were limited by the amount of gold they had on how much they could print. To fight a 20 year war in Afghanistan, you would have to tax the people the cost of the war, right? So you'd have to tax them, let's say every year, you'd have to tax people for the war in Afghanistan. Now think about the amount of popular support that war would, would continue to have. There, there'd be no way. You're not, no one's, the only reason why we could fight some stupid war in Afghanistan for 20 years is because no one directly has to pay for it. And the, the awful thing about inflation is that people just kind of don't notice it. it the, the tax of inflation comes after the fact. The inflation is when you're printing all the money. But the, ta the, the devaluing of your currency happens slowly over time. I mean, not so slowly over the last few years, but even inflation at just 2% or 3%, and when I say inflation now, I'm talking prices going up, 
Um, and obviously the CPI is not an accurate representation of that, but let's say it's going up by 2% or 4%. You're just slowly boiling the frog. You're slowly losing the value of your purchasing power. But as it's happening, it's not directly clear that that was tied to all the money printing. Whereas when you, when you pay your taxes, uh, for those of you who have withholding taxes, you see it. It's right there. Here's what I would have been making and here's what I am making. If that was very clear that that's what was going on in Afghanistan, the whole thing would have been shut down. And likewise, just imagine they tried to do lockdowns, but they couldn't print up all the money to, to give to all the big businesses. Well, what you would have had is at least a lot, maybe not companies like Amazon and stuff like that. But if lockdowns were really hurting big business, you would have had big business against the lockdowns. And that would have destroyed the whole thing right there. So anyway, government control of the money is a huge problem. It's a, it's the number one problem. But government having not a monopoly on the money, but an, a monopoly on the digital money is death. That's just the death of liberty because you're only one centimeter away now from any type of social credit system that they want to have. You know, now all of a sudden it's, Oh, you know, your, your carbon footprint was too high. Well, we can shut off your money. You're, you're saying something that's critical of the government. We can shut off your money and they can totally, it's a total end route around the constitution because, Oh no, we're not like, we're not violating the first amendment. Congress hasn't written a law that says you can't say whatever you want to say, but we digitally control your money. So it's, this is, this will be a death, a death blow to any sense of liberty that we have. And so the fact that Vivek Ramaswamy has taught Donald Trump what this is and is at least getting him to talk about it is huge. And the other thing I would add is that we got to be honest about what the situation we're looking at here is. Donald Trump, I think most of us at least know that there's a possibility that even if Donald Trump has the votes, the state is not going to let him in. And so quite possibly what we really have here with Donald Trump is we got, what is it? Nine months more of this speaking slash comedy tour. Like it, it might very well be that what we have left of Donald Trump in terms of being a political figure is this run for president. They may just not let him in. In fact, I'm kind of leaning toward guessing that. I think most of us probably think, I think anyone being honest would have to admit that if the vote were today, Donald Trump probably wins. If, it was, if there was just a free and fair election today between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, Donald Trump is the president. But I don't think they're going to let him in. They've sent every signal to suggest that they're not letting him in. So... If that's the case, then the value of Donald Trump is how much can he influence politics over the next nine months? How much can he influence where the American people are? And so this right now is that's huge that he's at least talking about the right thing. And, you know, so that's that's kind of my takeaway from it. All right, guys, let's take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's show. Let me ask you a question. 
Do you want to start earning a yield in gold, paid in gold? Of course you do. The Fed can't mess with that, and that's why we got to tell you about monetary metals. Monetary metals is offering a real solution to the inflation issue and the constant currency debasement by paying interest on gold paid in gold. They are revolutionizing the finance space by letting you opt out of dollar interest rates completely. Now you can opt out of the Fed system by having your own gold earned income denominated in ounces every month. The interest rates from monetary metals are all denominated in gold and aren't affected by the actions of the Federal Reserve. While owning gold has protected your wealth in the past, until monetary metals, there's been no way to grow it. Now you can grow your wealth in ounces every month and see your wealth compound in an interest rate that's set in the free market by gold owners and gold borrowers. Monetary metals lets you get on a sound money standard and makes it profitable to decrease your exposure to the actions of the Federal Reserve. This means no more worrying about dollar interest rate swings or how much the dollar loses value over time. Now you can get your own personal gold standard and end the Fed's grip on your savings one ounce of gold at a time. Just ask yourself this. Would you rather earn 5% on dollars or 5% on gold? If the answer is obvious, then head over to monetary-metals.com to see how you can start earning a yield in gold paid in gold. If you want to learn more, go to monetary-metals.com slash P-O-T-P. Once again, monetary-metals.com slash P-O-T-P. All right, let's get back into the show. The other thing that I will say is that the be- like the best thing probably that can happen right now is that, and, I, and I'll say this as somebody, I guess I got a little bit of influence amongst libertarians and maybe amongst some of the libertarians in New Hampshire. And I think that Rand Paul and Vivek Ramaswamy and Tucker Carlson essentially have this right where the number one political project in America right now should be never Nikki. That the and a, anybody who's listening to this show, man, if you are a, a libertarian or just someone who listens to this show, maybe someone who agrees with us on some issues but not others, if you live in New Hampshire, if you know anyone in New Hampshire, if you have any family members in New Hampshire, if you know anybody at all who's possibly supporting Nikki Haley in these in these New Hampshire primaries. The most important thing right now that you can do is convince them not to. Whatever whatever way you can, whatever their identity is, you should convince them that she's the worst person in the world. And here, this is what will make it easier for you. She is. <laughs> she's the worst person in the world. So if you're a liberal who's supporting her, you just talk about how goddamn not liberal she is, okay? And if you're like a liberal Republican who's supporting her, you can just tell them about how much she's not a liberal Republican. There's so many issues you can find with her. But if there's any any influence we can get is that Nikki Haley has to lose the Iowa, I'm sorry, the New Hampshire primary. Because if she does that, she's really got almost no path to the nomination. So the most important thing right now is never Nikki. She's the worst. Do whatever you have to do. I'm sure you can find lots of different uh, examples and clips and stuff of her just saying the worst thing in the world because that's what she always does. She's consistent at that. Um, okay. Anything you want to jump in with, Rob? I uh, like a simple slogan of never Nikki. I, I was thinking with uh, Vivek, I mean, it'd be funny in a tragic way if he uh, gets in. 
and then Donald Trump makes the cabinet position for him, uh, droning Mexico. Oh and man, just puts him on one, the thing he's worst yeah, on. Yeah, he just gets assigned that one thing. <laughs> I'm putting Vivek Ramaswamy in charge of trade policy with China. And like, oh, <laughs> no, no, all the other stuff. Um, okay, let's uh, let's let's go to this clip of uh, of Kamala Harris, who. Always is, something uh, insightful. When you're lost, you're not sure what to do, how the country should uh, handle its policies. Well, yeah, sometimes you just want to learn, you know? And when you want to learn something, you go to the sitting vice president of, of the United States of America, and here she is. Well, let's talk about race in our own country. Okay. At a time when the Democratic Party is losing some support among Latinos, among black voters, Nikki Haley, who, like you is of Southeast Asian descent, said this week that this country has never been a racist country. So let me ask you directly, <laughs> do you agree that America has never been a racist country? You know, I, first of all, and, and I think everyone agrees, we all agree, um, the issue of race in America is not something that should be the subject of a soundbite. Right. The history of racism in America should never be the subject of a soundbite or a, a, a question that is meant to elicit a one sentence answer. Just, but there just is pause no it right there. Just how great is all of this already? That's a soundbite, you dumb bitch. What are you talking about? This you you exclusively speak in soundbites. You're you're only you only speak in sound bites, and you're the worst at sound bites. What does any of this even mean? By the way, how funny is it that she starts off? It, it's just, first of all, these people, they always want to talk about race. They love talking about race. And for several reasons, but one of the most obvious ones is because the, the benefit of always talking about race is that you never need to know anything about anything. You don't have to know stuff. If you want to talk about any other issue, whether it's uh, the economy or foreign policy or anything, you got to know something about it to talk about it. Race is the only thing that you never need to know anything about. It's why these 18-year-olds are so fascinated by it, because they get to pretend they know everything and they've, they've never read a book about anything. But they could talk to you all day about white privilege and how minorities are oppressed or something like that. Um, but she starts off by, look, I, I don't know if I, I don't know what comment she's referring to that Nikki Haley, the worst person in the world, said. But if she's saying America has never been a racist country, that's not a fair statement. Uh, there have been periods in America where we were a racist country. But the, the idea, uh, the question of like, are we a racist country right now? I'm like, is this a racist country? It's so funny to be like having this conversation and she prefaces it with at a time when Democrats are losing support from black people and Latino people. Because that's what's going on right now. And just imagine, Rob, having to keep in your mind that we live in a horrifically racist country. But black people and Latino people are supporting the Republicans more. Like the Democrats are the champions against this racism that we live under, and yet minorities are peeling off from the Democrats. 
Imagine the mental gymnastics you have to do in your head to have both of those views at the same time. And then think about how kind of racist that is. Because you're actually saying like, that we live in a racist country, but these blacks and Latinos are just too stupid to see it. They're too dumb to know that they're now moving in the direction of supporting the racist party. Man, what a bunch of idiots they would have to be. All right, let's keep playing. That we have in our history as a nation, racism. And that racism has played a role in the history of our nation. And when I think about it, I, I think we all would agree that pause? while- Isn't it such a crazy thing? This, this lady is the vice president of the United States of America. But it's, do you, you notice that she always says something really stupid and meaningless, and then her next sentence is always to repeat the stupid thing? Like she goes, and racism has played a role in our history. And I think that if you look at our history, racism has played a role. Like you just said that. How do you, she has so nothing to add to any conversation that she just says the most vapid statement and then repeats it over and over. It's unbelievable. There's, you could just pick a random podcast online on any topic and it's somebody who's smarter than our vice president who can speak who's actually saying something when they talk all right let's keep going oh um it is part of our past and and the, and we see vestiges of it today <laughs> we should also be committed collectively to not letting it define the future of our country but we cannot get to a place of progress on the issue of race by denying the existence of racism, by denying the history of racism. To suggest that enslaved people benefited from slavery. We will not grow as a country to push that kind of approach and doctrine and misinformation. It is not in our best interest to evolve on the issue of race in America to suggest that the Civil War was prompted by anything other than slavery in America. It is not in the best interest of our progress as a nation to ban books and deny our children the ability to benefit from the knowledge of America's full history mm -hmm. so that we can move toward progress. So I, 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 it's unfortunate that, um, that there are some who would deny fact or overlook it when in fact moving toward progress requires that we speak truth. <laughs> yeah. It's just unbelievable. As I got it. There's something you kind of got to admire about Kamala Harris. Like what, what it must be like to just be talking and you're the vice president of the United States of America and you're just speaking and you're figuring it out as you go. Like you, she just has this quality where every word that she utters, you can tell in her head, she's like, all right, what word's going to come next? I am on the fly here. Like I am doing this one word at a time. And it's just, I don't know, just a whole bunch of nothing. Is what maybe she, maybe she just has a, a genius to her and her ability to appreciate the little things like things that you and I, we just take for granted, like the beauty of school buses and space. <laughs> and 
you know, just little things that aren't such a big deal to us that she's able to really appreciate. It really is something, man. It's unbelievable how much, look, I, I will say that I think over the last 10 years, race relations have been set back in this country. I think that there's the, um, the constant pushing of this insane narrative that there is, you know, that white supremacy is a major problem in America today, that white people are inherently guilty, all the rise of this insane woke shit, which is, it really is just, you know, uh, you know, after pushing racism into the lexicon very consistently by all of the most powerful people in the country, there's also been a reaction to that where now there has been, you know, like it's just stoked racial tensions, like in, across the board. So things are worse than they were. And for people like us who are a little bit older than like, you know, we can remember more than just the last 10 years, but maybe the 10 years before that and the 10 years before that even, um, things were, I think, better in terms of race relations in, in this country. I think in the 1990s and in the first 10 years of the 21st century, race relations were better in America than they are today. But even today, the thing that's just like kryptonite for all of these progressives is just that we don't live in a racist country. We just don't. And I'm not saying there's nobody out there who's racist. And I'm not saying that people don't harbor their own kind of internal, you know, prejudices. Like we all have some. But in general, it's just not a racist country. It's just not. It's really just not a problem. I, I sh you know, there are. Maybe I'll walk that back. There are some uh, racist policies that are in like enshrined in law. They're all against white people or perhaps you could argue against Asians or you know what I mean? Like like some of these groups that do get discriminated against. And there is certainly a ton of like accepted racist language or racist um, rhetoric against white people. But even with all of that, it's just by any standard compared to any uh, other country, we're just not a racist country. We're just not. It's not people like progressives will call people like me and you racists. And it's just, it's all made up. It's all made up. The truth is we go out in the world all the time and we're, a re we're as like, even in rural whiter places in America, people of different races live amongst each other, work amongst each other, have, you know, go out to comedy clubs amongst each other, go out to restaurants and nobody, like, it's just not a major problem that we're all like hating each other. It just doesn't happen. It's all on fucking TV and the internet. You know, it's like you ever be, I, I remember talking about this with you on the podcast like years ago, but you ever like, you know, you could like get lost in like a YouTube journey and you see like the, uh, you know, like you'd see like the wokest of woke person, like some insane person on a college campus, like talking about how, you know, whiteness is evilness and all the white people shouldn't come on this day and only the black people should come on this day or whatever they're preaching. And then you, you go down like, 
you know, a path you see like the alt-right guys or something like that, or like the the white nationalists and talking about how we need, you know, whatever, we need to live in a, a white ethno state or something. And you could watch these videos and you're like, oh my God, we're on the brink of a race war in America. But then you turn off your computer and you go outside anywhere and you just go to a supermarket and like there's some black guy and like you're like coming toward each other and you're like, oh, sorry, excuse me. And he goes, no, no, you're good. Go ahead. And you're just like, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. None of that's real. None of it's real at all. It's like a, a handful of people on the Internet and all of the like most powerful people are constantly trying to tell you that that is the United States of America. But it's just not. It's just objectively not. And it's a weird thing, like doing what we do like being like a stand-up comedian, you just kind of see that all the time. I kind of know. I'm always just looking at a room full of people who are like of every different race and they're all cracking up laughing together. We're all just having a, great, a, a nice time. They're just having some mozzarella sticks and a beer, all enjoying each other. No problems whatsoever. And it's just so, it's like when you see it for what it is, it's so transparently obvious that it's like all of these people are just trying to inject this into us. It's like they want us all to be fighting with each other when we're not trying to. None of us are like that. And then the truth is that most white people and most black people kind of have the same interests. And when I say that, I mean, you know, yeah, they want to be making a little bit more money. They want the prices to not be going up so so fast. They want some decent health care. They want their kids to get a good education. They want to be able to take a vacation, you know, once a year. It's kind of all the same. And I'm not saying there's no differences between the races or there's no there's no cultural differences. I'm not even saying there's no genetic differences. I'm just saying in the bigger picture of things, all of this stuff, you know, they can talk about like, oh, my God, how how awful was slavery? It's like, yeah, slavery was pretty awful. And you know who agrees with that? 100 percent of the United States of America. Everyone. If you can find one person who doesn't think slavery is awful, that's pretty like that'd be pretty incredible. It'd, it'd be amazing for you to find one person who actually believes that. But you can't because you don't know anyone who believes that. And and the, the only way you could find them is find them online because <laughs> that one person who believes that will maybe get some type of traction because he's just saying the craziest shit you could imagine. J Jim Crow and all, all these things in our past. Yeah, they were fucked up. We all agree they were fucked up. And the great thing that they all have in common is that none of them exist today. None of them. So just shut up about it already. God damn it. It's so, it's so goddamn destructive to constantly tell a country that's not racist that we have this huge race problem. And it's probably most destructive to the group of people who you're supposedly trying to defend to convince them that they're constantly, yes, you live in a white supremacist uh, country and that's why all any problem you have is due to that just the most destructive thing ever um go ahead rob or maybe we go the other way we got to start taking the uh the racist marketing and educate people why inflation is racist and it probably is because you got more uh demographic people that are poor and so more of a higher percentage of their wealth is actually being, I don't know if that's true, but whatever, you know, it sounds good. Just tell them it. Well, it does. Uh, inflation definitely disproportionately hurts 
poor people. There you go. Inflation's racist. And yeah. what about our, the American drug policy? That's definitely racist. We just got to start explaining to people why all these uh, liberal democracy plants are all secretly racist. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it, it does seem like the only language they uh, they understand, at least at certain points. Yeah, Woodrow Wilson, remember how racist he is? Well, he made the central bank, so got to get rid of the central bank. Woodrow Wilson. Yeah, the central bank is racism. racist. I'm okay with that, too. Yeah, totally. All of them racist. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I know I've had times where I was facing difficulties in my life and therapy really helped. If that sounds anything like you and you're thinking about maybe getting some therapy, there's no easier way to do it than BetterHelp. It's the easiest way to do it. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash problem today and you'll get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash problem for 10% off your first month. Let therapy be your map with better help. All right, let's get back into the show. Okay. One, uh, uh, other thing I wanted to talk about here was, uh, Jamie diamond had a, a little rant that's going super viral. If you don't know Jamie diamond, he is the head of JP Morgan chase. Um, yeah, let's play that clip. We've got this great hand, but when people say MAGA, they're actually looking at people voting for Trump and they think they're voting and they're basically scapegoating them that you are like him. Uh, and but I don't think they're voting for Trump because of his family values. Now, if you look, just take a step back, be honest. He's kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. Mm -hmm. He grew the economy quite well. China, Trade, China ta virus. Tax reform worked. Mm -hmm. He was right about some of China. I don't th I don't like no, what he did. No, I said China virus. Yeah, I understand. When he, when yeah. he may have been right. He, he, and I don't like how he said things about I Mexico. I don't like. But he wasn't wrong about some of these critical issues. And that's why they're voting for him. And, and I think people should be a little more respectful of our fellow citizens. And when you guys have people up here, you should always ask the why. Not like it's a binary thing. You're supporting right. Trump. You're not supporting Trump. Why are you supporting Trump? It's hard to Trump? hate 75 million of your fellow Americans. And it's, I, I agree. It's done quite and, you know, the Democrats have done a pretty good job with the deplorables, not hugging onto their Bibles and their beer and their guns. I mean, really? Like, can we just stop that stuff and actually grow up and treat other people with respect and listen to them a little bit? Jimmy, and, and I do think the economy will affect. And I think this this negative talk about MAGA is going to hurt Biden's election campaign. So there you have it. Jamie Diamond uh, saying something reasonable. And it's man, it, it's crazy how awful everyone has to be to make me go. Jamie Diamond's kind of got a point. Uh, I will say I'm I'm surprised in a way that more of the kind of ruling elite class hasn't taken this tone. And this is something I've been saying for years where you see, look, this is Jamie Diamond. OK, there with his Ukraine flag pen on. Isn't that interesting? A big bank, you know, a banker supporting the wars. Hmm. Crazy. Almost like there's a connection there. Uh, but anyway, but the thing is that what Jamie Diamond is really kind of saying here, which I'm surprised there haven't been more people in the elite class, is that because he had, he was also talking about like all of the like kind of economic uncertainty before he got into this. But I think and I don't know, Rob, I'm kind of curious what your take on it is. But I think a lot of what this is, is it's like, hey, guys, we've got a pretty good thing going here. You know, 
Like the status quo is that I get to rape the American treasury, you know, like I'm looting all of these people. Could we not like keep poking them? Can we just stick with like, this is what surprises me that people in the elite class. And I think we're living through a period of tremendous, like um, decadence and, and atrophy within the ruling elite. That's one of the major themes in the United States of America right now. But Jamie Diamond is a little bit different than that. Like Jamie Diamond is no dummy. If you know Jamie Diamond's story, he's like, he was, uh, God, I, I'm just going off memory here, but he was like, he was very high up in Citibank and he got fired. I, I believe, oh man, I might be get mixing this up. So double check me on this, but it was something like the head of Citibank put their kid in a very high up position that the kid was no, nowhere near qualified for. And Jamie Dimon made a big stink about it. And he was like, yo, this is crazy. You can't put your kid in this crazy high position. And they, they fired him over it. And then he went and took over this like little bank and built it up huge and got to such a huge point that JP Morgan Chase bought this bank and then made him the CEO of the company. Like they, he, cause he was just so good at it. So he's no dummy. He's one of the bad guys, but he's no dummy. And he's looking at this and going, no, we have this great thing going here and you guys are risking all of it. Like you got to stop doing this. And I'm surprised there's not more people like that in, in the ruling elite. Yeah. It feels a little bit like uh, what you've said of uh, the whole black lives matter and, you know, the whole woke movement amongst the banks is uh, at least he's kind of realizing why are we villainizing uh, 90 million people and pretending like they're all dumb racists. They're not. Let's have some respect. And it's obvious because, uh, like you said, he gets to rob them. So I, I guess he's trying to pivot because the Democratic Party, they've been running with that for like nearly a decade now of the Donald Trump's a racist and everyone that supports him is a racist. And uh, that doesn't seem to be working. And I do think it doesn't it does aggravate, you know, that entire uh, demographic of the United States. So I guess he wants to disassociate from it. Yeah, well, look, I mean, you can see why there there was the tremendous benefit of pivoting to the kind of these culture war issues and turning the the population against each other, because then that, you know, like distracts from the things that they don't want you to be focusing on. But at the same time, if you're Jamie Dimond, if you're Nancy Pelosi, if you're if you're in the ruling elite, there's you only really have one fear and that is revolution that is the people your biggest fear is that the people will just overthrow you now that seems very hard to do in modern america but still that's the fear and so i think he's going like why are we poking them so much they seem really really angry at us and undeniably they've got a point on so many of these issues that they're angry about, right? Like even he has to admit Trump was right about immigration. Trump was right about NATO. And yeah, okay, maybe he didn't say it in the right way all the time, but like, yeah, there was really a point there. And maybe a lot of the people supporting him are supporting him because they agree with the point he was making, not necessarily that they love the way he said it. And it's just sometimes a system is, or, or sometimes a way of thinking is too stupid to be sustainable. 
And sometimes something is so obviously true that it's unsustainable to deny it. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here. At least Jamie Dimon is saying, hey, guys, let's just like, let's stop being so stupid that we're unsustainable. Let's just admit it. How can you not admit Trump had a, uh, had a point on immigration when the mayors of blue sanctuary cities are now going there? Um, and I'm not exaggerating. Like the, the rhetoric is essentially this problem will destroy us all. This problem is so bad that it's going to destroy us. That's what the mayor in New York City and in Chicago is saying. And they're they're just getting, you know, bust in some some illegals by the thousands. They're not getting flooded by the millions like the fucking border states are. Or you know, right? And they're saying that so how how do you have that? You know like it's a, we were talking about this a uh, few episodes ago. But how does uh like when Eric Adams is holding that press conference. How does at one point in that press conference, the words not get uttered that go, Oh, and by the way, I owe a huge apology to Donald Trump. (laughs) You know, like how do you say what you just said without at one point going in there? It's Oh yeah. And by the way, I'm sorry. I mentioned meant to bring this up before. Uh, Yeah, we were totally wrong and he was totally right. And we owe him a huge apology. Remember when we called the guy Hitler? for saying what I'm telling you right now. Remember just a few years ago when that was our position? Yeah, okay, well, it turns out he wasn't really Hitler. He was just making a really good point. That it's unsustainability. To ha- it's unsustainable to have illegal immigrants flood into your country by the millions. In, in what world, in what country is that ever sustainable? Is that Does that ever make sense? It's just so obvious. All right, guys, let's take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's show, which is X-Bar. X-Bar is your new home gym that you can take with you anywhere you go. You can target every muscle in your body with this one piece of equipment. The X-Bar is an easy curl style bar that uses resistance bands instead of weights, so it's better for your joints. It comes with five to 480 pounds of muscle building resistance. It's a full gym in the palm of your hands, and it's great for travel. It's easy to take with you anywhere you go. Get the results of a 45-minute workout in as little as 10 minutes. Plus, it comes with a lifetime warranty. They have over 1,000 five-star reviews. Go check it out, xbar.com slash pages slash problem, and use the promo code PROBLEM15 to get 15% off and free shipping. Once again, xbar.com slash pages slash problem, and use the promo code PROBLEM15 for 15% off and free shipping. All right, let's get back into the show. Isn't it? There's something funny to me about uh, the immigrants pouring in that it's costing it. I mean, I, I think in New York it costs them like fifty five thousand dollars an immigrant, or it, it's it's an it's an unbelievable sum of money. But the idea that you've got massive amounts of uh, working aged males who want to do nothing more than just work, and you can't figure that like just can't we just put up some factory, let the people work. I'm just saying, like, say I understand. I don't know. They're taking this job, that job, but it's all because of the uh, things that we've put into the market of that people can't just go and find a job yeah. and that you've got. But just the idea that you've got right. working age people that want to do nothing other than work and then you're spending money to keep them from working to try and find places that you can't actually house them. It just seems like if you just got out of the way, you yeah, can solve well, like it pretty quickly. No, exactly. Exactly. And like, that's why, again, that's why the answer isn't like open borders and it isn't closed borders. The idea is like, have a market, just have a market. 
If there's people who want to be productive to come here, then have a system where they can come be productive. And if there's people who don't want to be productive, then have a system where the people here don't have to take them in. It's it, like, you know what I mean? Like voluntary, voluntarism solves all of this. Just make it a, vol- and the best, of course, with the existence of a government, the best solution would be what Hoppe said. Just have a sponsorship system. Now, if you get someone who will sponsor you and take full financial liability for you, you can come here. Open borders for you. Closed borders for anyone who can't get sponsored because you don't own this country, so you don't have a right to come here unless you're invited. The same way we deal with private property should be the same way we deal with the immigration uh, issue, and it would solve everything or at least solve the vast majority of it. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Did you see, Rob, there was like a, they were relocating some uh, some immigrants, like they had been putting them at a hotel in Manhattan and they were trying to relocate them to Red Hook and they were outside protesting because they didn't want to go. Because oh, they want to be in Manhattan in mm-hmm. a hotel? Well, that yeah. makes sense. They're like, oh, we want to stay here. But I, it's like, and don't get me wrong. Because <laughs> yeah, what rights do you have to protest? I mean, dude, now, first of all, I know, by the way, I don't know this, but I know it. It's not them. They didn't just come up with the idea of let, let's protest. You know, there's some type of left wing, well-funded activists who are like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to protest and do all this. But it's hard to look at that. I mean, and give me a break to all of these, like, you know, the the libertarians who still hang on to the, this like open borders argument. But here you are. You came uninvited into a country that's not yours. They took you in. They're putting you up. You're living off of the tax base. You're living off the rest of us who work and are forced to pay into this system that you get to live off of now. And then they're going, okay, well, we have to put you up and feed you and clothe you in a different place. And you're protesting because you don't like the location. Like how do any of these people not think to themselves that like, man, we're going to turn people against us. Can you imagine, right, like our country falls to shit and me and you, we try to go somewhere else and and we're like, hey, will you guys take us in because it's like so much better here and our country is falling to shit. Will you please take us in? And they go, sure, we'll take you in. And then you're like, but listen, I don't have any place to stay. I, I don't have any money. I have nothing. They go, we'll take care of it. We got your housing. We got your medical care. We got your, you know, whatever. We got, we'll feed you, we'll, all that stuff. And then you go, and by the way, this isn't like, they're not being put in a refugee camp or something like that. It's not like, like there were in, in, in England or in Germany or in like any of these other, it's not like they're like, Hey, you come here, but you got to stay here. You can't leave. It's not like that. They can leave. They're free to go. And you go wherever you want to. No one's stopping you from leaving, but you can stay here if you don't have a place to go. And they just see, and then you're going to protest then, like, wouldn't you immediately just be like, hey, guys, look, we should be really grateful. We should be really grateful that they took us in and they're taking care of us. Uh, how I, I don't understand how you could be in that situation and not think we, we might piss a lot of people off by doing this. All right, listen, we got to wrap up there. We will put out a, a new episode very soon for you guys. So we'll catch you then. Thanks for listening. Come catch us in Brea, California, in Connecticut, comicdavesmith.com, robbythefire.com for all Rob's headlining gigs. And of course, check out Run Your Mouth, Rob's other excellent podcast. See you guys next time. Peace. Peace.